Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody. It's always good to gather on Wednesday nights and study God's Word together. God's Word is power, and it's food for us, and it's everything that we need in the middle of the week. So we're glad that you're here to join us in studying 1 Peter chapter 2. Those of you joining us online, we welcome you also. We always, as I mentioned, we always have a good number joining us online to study God's Word during the week. So wherever you are and however you're joining us, we welcome you also. Let's pray together, and we'll get started. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for how it is uh, truth, uh, it is life, it's nourishment to us, it encourages our spirit, it instructs us. God, I pray that you will instruct us tonight as to how we as believers should live in our culture. God, I just pray that you'd help us to be witnesses to you and follow you and follow your direction. We know that your word is, is our authority. God, whatever it says, we're going to go by, and we're not going to swerve to the right or to the left. And so, Father, would you bless our people tonight as we undertake to do exactly what you've called us to do in the world in which we live. God, bless us tonight. Teach us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2. Turn with me to verses 13 through 17 tonight. Going through our Bible study entitled Culture Shock. And if you remember so far where we've got to through uh, chapter 2, verse 12 is where we've gotten. If you remember, there was a group of Gentile Christians formed into a church up in Asia Minor, which is today Turkey, just south of the Black Sea. They were up there. Uh, Peter knew about them and wrote a letter to encourage them and instruct them because they're wondering how do we live our faith in the Roman Empire, in the Roman culture that we're living in. It's around A.D. 63, which means it's about 33 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. He died 30 A.D., rose again three days later. And so 63 A.D., about 33 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. They were up there living, they were Gentiles, they weren't Jews, living in a culture that did not understand Christianity. Uh, was hostile toward Christianity with a government that disliked the Christian faith. So Peter wrote this letter and shared with them several things about how to live the Christian life in the world in which they find themselves. So tonight we come to a section starting in verse 13 uh, that addresses how do you function as a believer, practically a believer in Jesus in a hostile environment. What is our relationship, tonight he's going to talk about, what is our relationship to the state and to the government? How are we to live in relation to the government? So starting in this section through uh, the first of chapter 3, this is what Martin Luther called hostophone. In, in German, literally meant table talk. In other words, sitting around the table as a family, here are some practical things we need to know. So he talks about how do you relate to the government? How do you relate to the emperor and those over you? How do you relate to each other? Husbands and wives and kids to parents and slaves to masters and all. So it's just table talk. And that's what Martin Luther entitled what uh, starts in verse 13 that goes all the way through chapter 3, verse 7. This section tonight uh, raises the question, how far are we to obey an ungodly government? We as believers in Jesus find yourself in a government that you would say goes against God's values, goes against God's Word, 
how how far are you to obey them when is it okay for civil disobedience and how are you to function in a culture like that now remember last week the government they were living in they call Christians bad actors and they look down upon the Christian faith so tonight there is little doubt as to what this passage means these five verses we'll look at it's referring to a relationship that a Christian has with the government it's probably not going to be what many of you want to hear I'll just be honest with you it's probably not going to be what some of you agree with it's going to be straightforward some of you tonight are going to hear this and think that's not what I wanted to, to hear but it's what Peter told us as is the Word of God. So I'm going to tell it because that's what Peter told us to do. In this section, we are urged to obey governing authorities and to pray for them. As believers, we are to obey them, we are to respect them, and we are to pray for them. Now, Peter addressed specifically suffering for Christ. It hadn't happened yet. Remember, this was 63 A.D. Formal persecution began around 64 A.D. So, they're only about a year away from it. So, what he has to say tonight is really interesting, considering their time period, and really interesting for us today as well. Now, to begin, let me set a background for you because I think it's going to really help, under, help you understand these verses a little bit better. Letter A about Nero. Let me share with you some things about Nero. Nero was the emperor at the time of this writing. Nero was the Roman emperor. He was, um, uh, they're, they're in the Roman Empire, those that he's writing to. So let me tell you a little, about it, a little bit about Nero. Some of you may remember some of it from history class. His official name was Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus. He just went by Nero. He reigned as the emperor of Rome from 54, now remember we're in 63, 54 to 68 A.D. after Christ. 54 to 68, so this letter is going to come toward the back end of his reign. So keep that in mind. All of the ancient historians who wrote about Nero had a negative view of him. There was not one positive view. And that's all the big name historians, Josephus, Tacitus, Suetonius. They all said he was evil. In fact, the name Nero is synonymous with evil. Those historians describe him as tyrannical, self-indulgent, compulsive, corrupt, and a debaucherer, is what they called him. He frequented the uh, Roman taverns all the time, stayed drunk half the time, and frequented the brothels with prostitutes most of the time. Five years into his reign, started in 54, five years into his reign, 59 A.D., Suetonius says that Nero started to become unhinged. He was married to a woman by the name of Claudia Octavia. His mother 
liked his wife. She loved Octavia. But Nero started to have an affair with a younger woman by the name of uh, Popia Sabina. So he's having an affair with a younger woman married to Octavia. His mother approached him and said, you've got a great wife. What are you doing running around with that young girl? He didn't like it, so he executed his mother. After that, he executed his stepbrother, Britannicus. And after that, he executed his wife, Claudia Octavia, so he could marry his girlfriend, Popia Sabina. So they married. Once his mother died, he had her killed. One historian said Nero began to lose all sense of right and wrong. Sounds like he's already lost it, doesn't it? But once his mother died, he, he lost all sense of, of any kind of restraint. One historian described him as impulsive, evil, deranged. In fact, some believed he was the Antichrist that Christ spoke of because he was such an evil man. He was disliked by most Roman citizens. He was the emperor, but most of them hated him. The, the only ones that didn't hate him was the very, very poor. He had a soft spark for very, very poor people. Those are the only ones that liked him a little bit. The rest of the Roman Empire hated him. One of the reasons they hated him was a heavy taxation. He taxed them greatly. And then once he taxed them, he emptied the treasury for himself to build a palatial complex of 100 acres in what he called the Golden House, which was a mansion he built for himself with a 100-foot-tall bronze statue of himself. He also fancied himself to be a poet and a singer and a performer. Uh, but he, his talent was so bad they could barely put up with everything he did. In fact, he hired 5,000 of his soldiers. He called them Augustans that would be in his performances. And whenever he finished, they would all cheer loudly. Yeah, it was wonderful. 5,000 of the ones he paid to do that. Maybe I need to pay for an amen section here at the... He was also a charioteer, and he rode in their games, much like the Olympic Games, and he always won. And then whenever he died, they struck his name from the record book because they, it was never legal as to how he won. But that was Nero. 64 A.D., one year after 1 Peter's written. So Peter's written while Nero's going through all of this. One year after 1 Peter's written, 64 A.D., on the night of July the 18th, his unpopularity was reaching massive proportions in the empire. So what do you do as a Roman politician and you're unpopular? You create a diversion. Nothing like a good war to, divert a create, to create a diversion or something like that. And so he created a fire. A massive fire broke out all across Rome. Supposedly began in merchant shops and completely destroyed 14 districts and heavily damaged seven more districts. Most of Rome was burned to the ground. 
Suetonius and one other historian said Nero was the one who set the fire. Three reasons. Number one, to divert attention away from himself being so unpopular. Maybe gain some sympathy from the empire that his kingdom had burned. Secondly, to clear the land for his 100-acre palatial complex where would go his statue and his house. Third reason, there was a growing number of people in the Roman Empire that he hated with a passion. They were known as Christians. Little Christs, he he called them. Followers of this man Jesus. And he hated them. And he could blame the fire on the Christians. Said they said it. And persecute them. So he did. Starting in 64, persecution ramped up. So it's only about a year after Peter writes First Peter that persecution started. Nero started to persecute Christians, kill Christians, have them thrown to wild beasts, burn them alive. In fact, one of the things he did that was documented from secular historians as well as Christian historians that he would take Christians, tie them on what we would know as basically a telephone pole, tie them to it, dip them in oil, set them ablaze, and put the, set the pole upright and line his garden with burning Christians to light his parties in his garden at night. Christians would be burning that would provide the fire. Three years later, he had Peter killed. Peter that wrote this letter, three years after he wrote what he's about to say tonight, he killed Peter, crucified him upside down. He was going to crucify him like Christ, but he said, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. So he requested to be crucified upside down, and Nero agreed and crucified Peter upside down. Not only Peter, he beheaded the Apostle Paul in 65 A.D., 65 A.D. also, um, the year after the fire, his new wife, Poppea Sabina, became pregnant. And he got angry at her one night as she was pregnant and kicked her to death. Kicked her to death along with the unborn baby. But he really did love Sabina and he felt badly afterwards. So he looked for her replacement. He finally found somebody that looked just like her in the face. It was a little boy. So he married the little boy. The boy's name was Sporus because he looked like Sabina in the face. Three years later, 68 AD, just about all of Rome had rebelled against him. His army had rebelled against him. Citizens had rebelled. And he was publicly declared enemy number one. They abandoned all allegiance to him. Almost everybody did. So he retreated to his palace where his army would be and his friends would be and his family he'd be fought. Got there and found the palace was abandoned. So he said there's nothing else to do but commit suicide. So he paced back and forth with a sword in his hand and couldn't get enough courage to kill himself. And he said, have I not friend or foe either? Kept pacing, couldn't find the courage. So he decided to go outside and throw himself in the Tiber River and drown himself. Walked outside and couldn't find the courage to do that either. So walked back in to the palace, contemplating suicide, 
pacing back and forth, and finally said, oh, what an artist this world is about to lose, talking about himself. Called in a companion and said, I can't find enough courage to kill myself. You do it first. I want to see how it goes. And so the companion did. He watched and still couldn't get the courage to do it. So he called his private secretary, who happened to be, by the, by the way, named Epaphroditus, not the one from the Bible, and said, would you kill me with my sword? And he did. And Nero bled to death and died there in 68 AD. It is said by leaders after that that he would be reborn. He would come back from the dead was the superstition because he was so hated that he would come back and haunt people from the dead. And there is a superstitious belief that he did. So, that's the type of government Peter's about to give you instructions about you're a believer. You think our government's bad? Look what he was writing to. You would expect Peter to write and say, look guys, Nero is crazy. He's he's nuts. The government's nuts. Look, it's evil. The government's evil. The leader is evil. Corrupt, godless. They have values that contradict God's word. You as believers don't have to obey that mess. It's not what he said. Listen to what he said, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor, Nero, as supreme, or to governors, those were the ones that he had appointed to do his work, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Nero's a foolish man. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor Nero. Wow. Okay, we got some questions there, don't we? Let's start looking at these verses. First of all, letter B on your outline, verses 13 and 14, be subject to governing authorities. Peter makes it quite clear in this passage that we are to submit to the authority of government and leaders by obeying them. Now, Jews didn't believe that. Jews, during Jesus' time, says, we honor no king but God, we pay taxes to no man. That's what Jews said as they lived as Roman citizens. What did Jesus say? Render under Caesar that which is Caesar's, and unto God that which is God's. By the way, pay taxes, he said. He told the Jews, pay taxes. In fact, whenever Peter couldn't pay tax, he said, go fishing. He caught a fish, and there was a coin in the fish's mouth. He said, pay a tax at that. But Jews didn't want to pay taxes or honor anybody because they were Jews. Peter and Jesus both 
had a different opinion. Verse 13, it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The, the word be subject, two words in English, one word in Greek, literally was a military term, and it meant you are in subordination to. You are under obligation. If you're in the military and you have a superior tell you something, you have to do it, right? So Peter used a military term to describe your and my relationship to the government. Be subject to them. Peter said, as Christians, we're to be good citizens. We should do this not because these individuals are personally worthy of our submission. Nero wasn't, but because by to submitting to those over us, we honor God, not them. Now, Peter wrote in the days of the Roman Empire, which is not a democracy, as I mentioned, no special friend to Christians either, but he recognized the legitimate authority of the Roman government. Yes, it was corrupt. Yes, Nero was crazy. Yes, all kind of corrupt things were happening. But it is a legitimate government God, he says, has ordained. Now, not saying he's ordaining evil. They corrupted what God had ordained. But government itself was ordained for our good. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Notice it says for the Lord's sake literally means because God has willed it. So now read it again. Be subject because God has willed it to every institution, whether to emperor as supreme or governors as sent by those to punish those who do evil. So, Peter said government has a valid and necessary God-appointed purpose. But pastor, hold on. What if the government's not following God's laws? What if the government is not following biblical values? What if it's corrupt? What if it's partisan? Doesn't matter. These facts should not blind us, Peter said, to the legitimate role of government God has ordained. Now, here's a question. Is there a place for civil disobedience? Yes. Absolutely. In fact, we get it from Peter earlier in his life. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are preaching the gospel. The council calls them in, beats them, imprisons them, finally releases them and says, don't you ever preach in the name of Jesus again. And Peter and John said, Peter said, well, we have to decide whether we're going to obey God or man. We choose to obey God. So, where is the civil disobedience? Peter states that we should practice civil disobedience when the government requires citizens to disobey God. Not when the government permits it, but when it requires it. 
Right now, there are a lot of things permitted in our culture that go against God's Word, but they're not required of you or me. I don't agree with them either, like you. But if our government ever requires us to stop coming to church or preaching the gospel or reading the Bible, that's where we say we obey God, not man. And we do it. We might be fined, we might be imprisoned, we might be killed. But when the government requires you to disobey God, you obey God. But if it just permits it, he says, obey the government. Now, don't do what they do. You go by biblical principles, but we can't just say, well, they're ungodly, so I'm not going to obey them. Uh, They're ungodly, so I'm going to do this. We can't do that. He says, live as good. Now go to verse 15. Letter C on your outline, silencing the ignorant by doing good. Verse 15, Peter writes, For this is the will of God, submitting to authorities God's will. Why? Verse 15, that by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The word silence there was an interesting Greek word, it literally meant muzzling a biting dog. So the, the, the Roman Empire was the biting dog at Christians. And the way you muzzle the biting dog is not to fight back at them. It's to do good. And he said when you do good, you muzzle the biting dog. Peter says that by obeying the law we avoid unnecessary criticism jesus said the same about paying taxes as i mentioned earlier matthew 17 note also that jesus told his disciples to pay their taxes even though rome used the tax money for things contrary to god's will did you did you catch that you see sometimes in our minds we justify things well they're not using what i'm doing in the right way. They're, they're using it for non-biblical. Jesus, no matter how they use it, you have to give it. They were using it for unbiblical things. And then Paul in Romans 13 said, pay your taxes as citizens. Be good citizens as Christians. Let me take you back for a second. Peter knew a little bit about civil disobedience. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? You remember Jesus is praying and the soldiers march across the Kidron Valley and he sees them coming and he tells his disciples, let's go. And he goes to meet them and the authorities come to arrest Jesus and Peter grabs that sword and man, he swing it, it's on. And so he swings at the Roman soldier and he ducks and cut off his ear. And Jesus went, no, 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 Peter, no. And he picked up the ear and reattached it to Malchus and said, Peter, I don't need you to defend me against the state. I could call legions of angels and they would come down and take care of them better than you. Put your sword away. So he knew a little bit about fighting against the government didn't he and now he tells us be subject for the lord's sake 
Because whenever you do, whenever you do good, that government in Roman Empire was accusing you Christians of, remember what I told you they accused them of? Cannibalism and all these other things. Whenever you do good, you shut their mouth. So, by doing good, we silence foolish people. Not by fighting back at foolish people or out shouting foolish people. But by doing good. Our conduct is the best way to defend the gospel. Our conduct is a way for people to see Jesus who would never see him anywhere else. You are a Bible people read. Remember, this was a culture that did not understand Christianity. Doing good was a way to silence the charges brought against them. Yes, men act foolish. Nero acted foolish. But you as a Christian are to do good. Because whenever you do, you shut the mouth of the biting dog. Now let's go to the last two verses, verses 16 and 17. How to live as a believer in our culture. Verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You and I are free. We're free in the sense that we are under obligation to nobody but God. And we have, He has accepted us because of what Jesus has done for us. We're free. We're, we're no longer under the tyranny of Satan. We're no longer His slaves. The believers in, in, in Asia Minor and you and I tonight, we are free in Christ. But do not use that freedom to sin. Do not use that freedom as a cover-up, as an excuse to try to get out of doing what God would have us to do because we don't like people, or we don't like Democrats, or we don't like the government, or we don't like who's in charge. Don't use your freedom like that, he said. Well, I'm not going to honor them because they don't honor the Lord. Peter didn't say that. He said, honor him anyway. You see, the Christian faith back then was no excuse for antinomianism, lawlessness. Nor is it an excuse for that today. Listen to what Dr. Cedar said about this. Liberty. Quote, liberty misused is like a mighty river that floods its banks and brings Terrible destruction to everything in its path. But liberty used rightly is like a mighty river flowing within the banks. And people come and get life and refreshment who drink its waters. It's a good way to put it. Whenever we use our freedom in Christ in ways that are outside the boundary of what God said, you may feel better about yourself. 
but you're leaving a path of destruction. But whenever we use our liberty within the banks of what God has said, we do good. We bring life and refreshment. We bring change. We bring Christ, the living water. Now look at verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor, Nero. Now let's talk about those four short phrases for a moment. There is no particular form of government that is advocated in the New Testament. No, it doesn't say one is better than the other, other. Peter just says, whatever the form, honor it. And in so doing, he gives us four injunctions in verse 17, one right after the other. Four injunctions that summarize our social obligations as believers. The first two and the last two are pairs. The first two, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. And then the last two are pairs, fear God, honor the emperor. Look at those. We should respect everybody, but we should love Christians. We should fear God, but honor the emperor. Now, these two pairs connect what Jesus had said earlier in Matthew 5 and Matthew 22, whenever Jesus said, love your enemies. And whenever he said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and unto God that which is God's. By the way, all four of these are imperatives. First is an aorist imperative, and the last three are present imperatives, but as you know, an imperative is a command. It's not an option. It's, it's God commanding you to do something and commanding me to do something. So the command is honor everybody. Why? Because all people are worthy of honor if for no other reason that they were created in the image of God. Every single human is created in God's image, not just believers. Every single person created in God's image. So honor everybody. Keep loving the brotherhood. Keep reverencing God and keep honoring the emperor. Now notice when it says honor the emperor, it's in the singular, not the plural. If it said emperor is everybody out there, okay, good ones, bad ones. You, you take what you get. But he uses the singular. He's thinking of somebody in mind. Honor Nero. Man, that dude would be hard to honor, wouldn't he? That's why I wanted to give you his background. Peter probably wrote this because he knew it was going to be really hard for Christians to honor Nero. The same emperor who, by the way, three years later would kill Peter. And some of them. But notice he uses different words. He doesn't use the word respect the emperor. He says, honor the emperor. Respect and honor are different things. You can respect someone even if they're undeserving of honor. Maybe you had an abusive parent 
growing up, and the Bible says to honor your father and mother. Maybe they're not deserving of honor, but you can respect someone even when they're undeserving of honor. And in the same way, we may not be able to respect certain government officials or certain government leaders because of their behavior or because of their beliefs or because of their values or because of their policies. But we still should honor them because they occupy an office that God places in position over us. Do I like all of them? No. Do I like their policies? No. But God has ordained the office and the person for that time. Because if there was ever a time for Peter to say, in general, guys, honor the emperor, but that nut that's in there now, Nero's, he's crazy. After him, start honoring them. And say that. We may not respect someone, but we can honor them. I think it's especially difficult when those in authority persecute us as they were them, or have values that contradict the Word of God, or when they seem to devalue persons of faith. Those are the ones it's hard to honor. But we are to do so. We're to do good. There are some believers who think they're honoring God by dishonoring their leaders. I'm standing for the Lord. The truth is you honor God by fearing Him, honoring the emperor, loving the brotherhood, and honoring everyone. So I guess here's a good way to put it. Honoring leaders is our responsibility to them as Christians. Earning our respect is their responsibility to us. But our job is to honor them, pray for them. So, what charges then can be brought against Christians? Peter writes. What can they accuse you of? They've already said you're bad actors. What can they accuse you of if all you do is love, honor, and respect? They can't accuse you of anything, can they? Good, Peter writes. Don't let them accuse you of anything. So, how are we to live today? Love, honor, respect. And if we're accused of anything as believers, may we only be accused of doing good. Told you, it's a hard lesson. It's difficult because it's not what we want to hear. But it's what God has commanded. Let's pray together. Father, thank you tonight for your word and thank you for how you teach us. God, even when it's hard to hear, even when it's difficult, because good Lord, to be honest, all of us are not pleased with the way our culture is going, with values and things that are being taught that go against your word. But Lord, help us to obey your commands. Lord, it was a difficult time for your believers in 63 AD to obey your commands, and it's, it's hard for us as well. Father, may we do what you've called us to do, and may we do what you have commanded us to do, so that in doing good, 
we silence, we muzzle the biting dog. God, help us to do it even this week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.